0: is airing on Tuesday October 18th 2022. Good morning everyone it's Shannon back with you for a Tuesday morning episode featuring an author interview and your guide to this week's new releases. Today I'm sharing an interview with author Erin LaRosa and we're discussing her novel For Butter or Worse which is a romantic comedy centered around food. Hooray! You may remember us talking about this book on our Most Anticipated Releases of July episode. It was one of Stacy's picks. So if you were intrigued by it, then you might want to pay attention to this interview. So let's get started. I have the housekeeping information, then we'll get into the interview, and I will be back to chat with you about this week's new books. Hello everyone and welcome to another edition of the Book Bistro podcast. This is Shannon and if you have been listening to our most anticipated releases of July episode, you will be a little bit familiar with the book and the author that we're going to talk about today. So I am here with author Erin LaRosa And we are talking about her novel, For Butter or Worse, which is released in the U.S. on July 26th. Erin, thank you so much for joining me today.
1: Thank you, Shannon. I'm so excited. Thank you for that nice intro.
0: You're welcome. Stacy had highlighted this um, on that episode as one of the books that she is super excited for in July, and so I think it's very awesome that you are here to tell us a little bit more about yourself and this book.
1: I'm gonna to have to name a character after Stacy. <laughs> <I> <laughs> uh, that that will, thank you, Stacy. That will
0: make her day. <laughs>
1: <laughs> I oh. um, wish that I was one of those people who just like made up character names but almost every character in my books like I know someone who's named that person you know I know a I know a person named that I've named a- it after a friend or something like that so Stacy, keep an eye out
0: you can um do some of those things I see like people will say you know uh you can enter like giveaways or whatever and then like yeah. the prize can be <laughs> Like, you can you know, to be a
1: character in a book. That's a great idea, because actually I did that recently with, um, there's a mischievous squirrel character in my second book, and I was sort of like, I'm going to ask people to name this for me. So I, I posted on Twitter and Instagram and got some amazing names, and I'm about to announce the winner of that. So I'll have to do ah, that see? with see, You can do names. that with,
0: with characters, too, uh-huh.
1: that, that aren't squirrels. Right. Although who wouldn't want to be a sweet little squirrel? Although in the book, I guess one of my characters really doesn't like the squirrel and the other loves the squirrel. So it just depends. I'm not how you feel a on big the fan spectrum. of, of I know. Um, I know. Well, so... I'm not either. But for some reason, squirrels, um, I feel like there's like a Sex in the City episode where she's like, squirrels are just rats with nicer coats or something. Um, <laughs> And so, <laughs> for some reason, I'm able to look past it. But yeah, rats and mice are my biggest fear in the world.
0: Yeah, see, this is why I have cats. <laughs> they they can protect me from all the the terror of the the rodent world. Mm,
1: yes, cats are very noble that way. Hear
0: that, Rhiannon? There's one sleeping <laughs> on a tower up here. So, <laughs> gee, she should be on alert for you know any rodents know. that might be creeping in here. So really can you can you give listeners a bit of an introduction to for better or worse so that people can have a bit of an idea of what they're um what to expect if they haven't heard the
1: blurb. Yeah, I would love that. Um so I sold for butter or worse by actually pitching it as um you know, if Mary Barry and Paul Hollywood from the Great British Bake Off had to fake date in order to save their yes. careers. So that's the that's the logline for it. Um, but it is about two celebrity uh, cooking show hosts who have a massive on-air blowout and uh, one of them quits and the other tries to convince them to come back. But in doing so, they're actually photographed by the paparazzi in what looks like a moment where they're kissing. And once they do that, their fans uh, become really rabid for them to be a couple. And uh, these... Hosts, their careers are kind of on on a downswing. So suddenly it becomes on an upswing whenever they're photographed together. So they decide to fake date in the hopes of saving their careers. Um, And it deals with, uh, you know, a lot of different kinds of issues. But what really drew me to it was, um, you know, I'm obsessed with cooking shows, any of them. I will watch all of them and kept noticing the lack of female chefs on a lot of them. Like when I watched Chef's Table, you know, the majority of those episodes, it would be like maybe they would have one or two female chefs a season. So I started researching that and discovered that only um, 7% of kitchens in America are run by women. And that was really shocking to me, (laughs) really shocking to me. Um, And then when I went down that rabbit hole, you know, there were all of these stories of sexism where female chefs had quit or uh, decided to leave the industry entirely because they were in such a um, male dominated industry that it was untenable. So what I did with um, For Butter or Worse is I actually wrote a female chef named Nina, who is kind of like a Gordon Ramsay type, um, which we don't (laughs) see on air very much. Right. We we usually see like female chefs are very nurturing, um, very sweet, like Mary Berry. So I wanted to see what a female chef who was kind of unabashedly, just herself and uh, a strong woman, how she would be treated um, and and explore that. So, yeah, it's it's a it's like a super fun book, but it also deals with these kind of bigger issues, too.
0: You know, I think we see this in so many industries, like we see sexism mm-hmm. you know, pretty much in any industry that you can think of. We see it in fashion. Yeah. You know, we see it in like Hollywood. We see it everywhere so I guess it shouldn't surprise me when somebody comes up with like one more place that it exists. And yet, <laughs> right. like when you said that, I was like, Oh, really? Like only 7%? Like, yeah.
1: wow. And it's um, it's interesting because uh, so a recent study was showing that, you know, when, when chefs go to culinary school, 50% are, are women, 50% are men. Who graduate from there but then the actual kitchens are only being run by seven percent women so it really shows you how male dominated that field is and kind of the mm. the odds are stacked against women uh in kitchens which is you know if you're running a kitchen if you're running a restaurant that's where the real money is to be made so it's this like bigger so. issue mm-hmm. mm-hmm. yeah
0: so you are a big fan of cooking shows. Are you also a big fan about of books like featuring cooking shows?
1: Yeah, absolutely. I um, yes. There's so many that came out this year. I was actually I interviewed know. by Eater um, about the the rise of books uh, featuring kitchens or featuring food or chefs. Um, you know, I, I think T.J. Alexander's Chef's Kiss Chef is a yes. recent favorite of mine. I don't know yes. if you read that one, but it's so great. I
0: have it here. Um, I've not read it, but I have it. Oh,
1: great. It's on your TBR. I would, I would highly encourage reading that. Um, and I think, you know, Ruby Barrett just had a book come out today. Yes. Um, and that book is also supposed to be amazing. That's on my TBR.
0: Yeah, the Romance Recipe. Um, yes. I just yeah. downloaded that earlier today.
1: Looks um, and there's so
0: great. another... Um, there's another like food book, the name of which is escaping me at the moment. I'm trying to find it really quickly here. That um, I recently read for an episode that we did on the podcast not too long ago um, about oh, okay. food books.
1: Oh, great! There's one called fake yes. It Till You Bake It, which was oh, really yes, cute. that
0: one also looks amazing.
1: Yeah, there's just a lot. There's a lot of them. It's great.
0: And then there's um Sadie on a Plate by Amanda
1: Elliott oh Sadie on a Plate yes um I actually reached out to the author of that and just had told her recently how much I loved that book um but yeah I think so my book got comped to an Alexis Hall book that takes place um, yeah that's right so you know I Alexis is like probably my all-time favorite romance writer so I was extremely happy about that comp but yeah there's just been a, a kind of avalanche of food
0: books which has been great yes. the one that I was trying to think of that I could was um Love and Other Disasters by Anita oh, Kelly yes
1: oh my gosh yeah that came out I think top of the year and it just grew yes. up I mean it was wonderful yes. yeah
0: and then there's also My Fine Fellow which is a uh, like my fair oh. lady, like kind of a gender okay. swapped my fair lady. Um, oh, I haven't told, tried that. Oh, it's Jenica Cohen. It is young adult, I think, That's and great. it's got kind of a little bit of like an alternate history vibe, but it is like mm. excellent in in every way. Um, okay. I read it right after it came out. Yeah, it's especially if you like retellings, you know, where they don't stick. Mm-hmm like super close to the original like thing they're you know kind of basing their book on but they give you like all the little nods that show you like they are really familiar with the story they're just you know kind of like flipping certain things on their heads
1: Mm -hmm. um I I loved it
0: so incredibly great I needed
1: I always need a book rack I I like don't need a book rack but I always need a book rack
0: (laughs) oh yes oh yes well, you know, that's why I think bookish podcasts are a thing because you can just get like a ton of recommendations. And I think authors are some of my, my favorite people to ask for um, book recommendations just because people just have like such a wide range of what they read, like both in and out of the genre that they write in. Like some people will only read within the genre that they write. And other people never read within the genre that they write and just always fascinated by kind of that link between reading and writing in various people that I talk to.
1: Yeah, I'm a person who mostly reads within my genre, but I recently read um, Remarkably Bright Creatures, which is not in my genre, um, oh, but is a really wonderful pelt, summer book. been Pelt, I think. That's right. That's right. Yes. Um, and like some of the chapters are <laughs> told from the point of view of an octopus, and it is so charming and delightful. Um, and it has... Not not a romance happily ever after, but it does end on a really upbeat, positive note. So I would definitely recommend that one if you're looking for kind of like a light, fun summer read. And I recently saw that Hilary Duff was reading it on an airplane. So whoa! if Hilary (laughs) Duff likes it, then we all have to read it, I think.
0: I've heard a lot of good things about that. It's gotten um, a ton of buzz since it came out. Mm Mm-hmm. I have to say I would be a little bit intrigued by like a romance ATA for an octopus.
1: Um I'm not sure how that would work, <laughs> but I I could I could get into that perhaps. Well, this, this octopus in uh, remarkably bright creatures does kind of lament the the lack of a, a female companion. So maybe that's the spin off um, book.
0: It it's hard to be an octopus, I guess.
1: It is. That's what I found out, yeah.
0: I don't necessarily know, you know, a, a lot about them, but it it could be difficult to be an octopus.
1: Mm-hmm. That's what, that's what, I don't want to spoil the book, but yeah, that's the <laughs> too long, don't read version.
0: So when you were sitting down then to write for Butter or Worse, um, was it kind of your, like, like your plan to sort of take, That's like two big romance tropes like the whole like fake dating and then like the reality show like you've got like two of the best things in here like did you plan on that from the start that you were going to do a fake dating thing or how did that come about for you
1: so I think um the thing I actually started with is enemies to lovers so this book also has enemies to lovers on top of (laughs) fake dating and a reality show and so um You know, I actually used the tropes a little bit as a guide for me because um, enemies to lovers is a favorite trope of mine. Fake dating is also a favorite trope of mine. And I was sort of like, okay, how can I make these two really work together Um, and in a realistic way? Because I think sometimes with um, fake dating and I, I read a lot of fake dating books, you know, like I just kind of buy in because I'm sure invested in that trope but I really wanted this one to genuinely be they are enemies at the beginning they are lovers by the end and that's consistent feedback I've got is um people saying wow this this really is like a true enemies to lovers book like they are enemies at the beginning they become lovers so yeah I definitely used those when I was brainstorming ideas um, around kind of a narrative around a female chef and I wanted to make that work and so um doing the kind of celebrity angle felt really natural because that does happen in real life like celebrities do fake date and so it didn't feel as big of a stretch um as to why they would
0: right because i think sometimes like the plots for these um You know, I can't think of a good example like in my life when I would pretend to date someone.
1: (laughs) Yeah. I know. I said that to people too. Like, has that ever really happened? And you know, like I'm sure it has. But um (laughs) but yeah, like I I had that thought too. I was like, okay, so like what would have to happen for these two to fake date? Um, and you know, I was thinking about how we we know a lot of celebrities, right, who have been like and accused is not the right word, but have been, it's been suggested that they fake dated each other or even fake yes. married each other in some instances for their careers. So that felt like a natural combination to me.
0: Right. And I think, you know, we go into these books, like you said, kind of knowing that they're going to have to come up with a plot that we can buy into. And mm-hmm. perhaps some of us buy into them a little easier than others, depending upon, you know, how much we like this trope. But I do like it when people do give some thoughts like, OK, what are some circumstances that would actually like bring this about in a way that feels organic and like, oh, yeah, you know, I could see someone making that choice.
1: Yeah, absolutely. I feel the same way um, because I definitely have read books that are fake dating. And as I'm reading it, I'm kind of like, OK, I don't think they really needed a fake date, but here we go. Um, <laughs> okay, and I still you love know. them. I still love them, but yeah.
0: Yeah, I like a lot of of them. I think they're very cool when they do it in, like, historicals, too. Um, Like, Stacey Reed did My Darling Duke, where this woman, like, pretended that she was the fiancé of this duke who was, like, a a social recluse, kind of. He hadn't been seen in society Mm -hmm. for a bunch of years. And so she's like, oh, yeah, I'm just going to say that I'm engaged to him. And then he comes to London and, like, finds out.
1: Oh, and then that's she has great.
0: To, like, yes. And then she has to, like, convince him to, you know, like, play along and, like, help her out. Um, there is something she, really
1: interesting about historicals where, like, the stakes are so much higher because yes. they don't, it, it, like, everything is on the line in historicals in a way that, like, with contemporaries, it's a harder needle to thread.
0: Right. Because if it doesn't work out in a, like, in a contemporary like, depending upon, like, what prompts you to do the whole fake dating thing. But if it doesn't work yeah. out, like, chances are your life isn't going to be in shambles. Right. <laughs> For this woman yeah. who said, you know, she was the fiancé of a duke. Well, you know, if it were found out that she was not, um, that would really end sort of any chance she and her family would have of, like, making, you know, good matches, which is what was, of course very important back then.
1: Totally agree. And I think like with my book, it was really important to me that I made the stakes super high for both of them. So Nina, my lead, um, you know, her restaurant is her entire life. It's actually the last one that she has open because her reputation has been so tarnished by this TV show she's been on. Um, And for Leo, you know, he's trying to save his family's business. So he has the pressure of not only saving his career, but The career of his mom and his brother. He's supporting both of them in a lot of ways. So I tried to kind of bring that thought into this book, too, of like, okay, the stakes need to feel basically desperate for them to agree to date each other. Right.
0: Yes. There has to be like something in it for both of them that feels like, okay, this is a thing like we can take a chance on because the likelihood of it helping us is is big and important
1: yes kind of nothing left to lose like this is our last hope
0: yes so you mentioned that you were working on your second book with your uh, mischievous squirrel character so I'm curious (laughs) do you um like are you planning to kind of continue to write within the contemporary romance genre or what can we expect next from you
1: yeah so the next thing that that is coming for me will be another book uh, next summer and um, right now the title is X's and Prose and it <laughs> is a spinoff book, yeah, very fun. Um, it's about a a romance writer working on her second novel. feels very oh, okay, um, yes yes and um, so i'm I'm actually turning in the first round of uh, rewrites on that, on Friday, so in a few days, and um, after that, you know, it's funny, I have, I have um, a romance book club that I participate in here in LA, and one of my friends was saying, you know, like, okay, you've got to figure out how to write, like, a fantasy romance, because um, I can't, like, keep reading contemporaries, I just <laughs> I need you to figure out something else, so, you know, I'm very interested in um, different genres within romance I think I do want to stay in romance um or something fun like a mystery but I think romance Mm. will always be at the heart of it because it's been such an escapist genre for me and has brought me so much joy and part of why I like writing the books I write is that you know I have people who tell me like my book brought them joy like they loved reading it they they experienced something that was meaningful to them. And so that's what I want to kind of keep putting into the world is just that feeling of you read something, you feel like you can escape and um, get a little break uh, while you're reading this book.
0: And I think romance does that for so many people who love it. You know, a lot of people are ready to kind of, you know, give it side eye, but I think for the people who really love romance, I think it is that source of of joy and escape that, you know, you can't always find in in today's world.
1: Yeah. And I think um, to that point of the side, I like most of the people I I meet who are kind of hesitant about romance have never actually read it. Um, no, and... that's that's true. You know, I just feel like you can't really criticize something if you don't read it. But, um, so
0: are you doing any, um, like online book events or are you all, um, in person now?
1: Yeah. So I'm, I'm doing like a lot of, uh, Instagram lives the week of my launch. So the week of July 25th, um, I will be, Going live on uh, Monday, the 25th with Buzzing About Romance. And I'll I'll post these on my Instagram as well. And then I'm doing actually a takeover of the Harlequin social pages on Tuesday, the 26th for my book launch. Um, Okay. I know I will be live with Barrett Talks Books on the 27th, as well as what to read next on the 27th. Oh, what to read Next. Yeah, that's a really fun podcast, isn't it? Yes it is. Um and I think those are my I'm not, like looking at my calendar are there any more. I think that might be it for, for my launch week. But yeah, I I'm excited to do in person events. I have one at Chevalier's in Larchmont and then The Rip Otis, and uh Smart Summer Reads, which will be on the west side of LA and then um, these these virtual events. So yeah, I'm going to be I'll I'll be having a busy launch week
0: yes you will (laughs) so if you could like think of kind of one thing that writing your first book and having it you know almost out in the world like is there one thing that you would say that that experience has taught you or that you've taken away from the experience that you would want kind of other people to know about and possibly apply to their own sort of, you know, writing and and releasing a book experience?
1: Yeah, I think, um, and I kind of knew this would be the case, but going into it, I knew I would have to live with my book for a long time because uh, publishing is, unless you're self-publishing and can get it out faster, it's a very slow process. So you know, I've probably been living with for butter or worse for two and a half years or something like that um, in terms of uh, writing it, getting an agent, selling the book. Once you sell the book, um, your editor gets at least three rounds of revisions from you. So you have to kind of keep reading and rereading and rereading. And you um. you live with this book for a long time. And then you know, now that my book is finally launching, I've actually, you know, completely moved on uh, in my head to the next book, because I I wrote that book. Um, we're in revision mode for that book. And so it's kind of like, it's maybe less romantic than you imagine <laughs> books to be in terms of like, you know, you will, it won't just be that you sell a book, and you get to kind of experience that one book at a time, probably like what your agent will encourage you to do then as soon as you sell your first one is to start working on the next one. So it is um, more of a, maybe a business than you realize when you're just kind of working on the art part of it. Mm -hmm. Um, There's also that, that business part where yes, I'm so excited for my, my debut book to release, but this will ideally be one book out of, dozens that I get to publish right so it's sort of like um you end up thinking of it as like okay this is like my one book on the shelf and now I'm moving on to the next book and even now like I've already had to write a synopsis and I'll write three chapters to sell my third book so you know I'm kind of like emotionally mentally in another headspace but but I'm you know, my, my book is still not out yet. It right, comes out in a few weeks, but you, yeah, so you have to live with books for a really long time and the process is long, like very long. So like just kind of buckling in and being willing to live with a book for years before it actually gets seen by anyone.
0: So do you think that changes at all? Like once, um, once your, your first book is on the shelves and, you know, you're getting, like feedback and everything from readers, does that Mm -hmm. impact the process at all? Like do books tend to, is the speed different, I guess, for authors that are established versus those who are just kind of coming out?
1: I think it's different in that, you know, when you're writing your first book, you can kind of work on it endlessly until you're ready to show it. So I've had friends who worked on books for years, like, their first book they just kind of kept reworking it rewriting it getting feedback rewriting before they were willing to send it to an agent um and the truth is like once you go through the process of getting an agent you realize that like your book will never ever be perfect like i could read for better or worse now and make a bunch of changes again just because that's the nature of books like you can always rewrite it Um, and feedback is subjective, right? Like the way that you read a book, Shannon is going to be different than the way that I read a book. Like I might love a book. You might be like, oh my gosh, I couldn't, I couldn't get through it. Um, but so now that I went through that process once, um, I guess I'm a little less like precious about my next one where I'm like, I know this is going to be rewritten dozens of times (laughs) through the the process of, of having my editor and my agent give feedback. So I'm less sort of like, um, keeping it close to my chest, not wanting anyone to see it. Now I'm, I'm much more open to like, okay, give me the feedback I need so I can rewrite it and make it better and get it to the place where, you know, we're ready to publish it. So yeah, I think it does speed up. Um, you know, for me, like I anticipate doing at least one book a year, um, if not more. And romance is, is more like that than literary fiction. Yes. But, um, yes. but yeah, so it'll be a faster process for sure.
0: And then we have like powerhouses like Jesse Q Sutanto, <laughs> who writes like, you know, four books a year I in know. various genres. I um, know. And I am. I really always. don't know
1: how those folks do it. Like I I think I could do two books a year, but then I, I will see some people who write a book in a month um and are able to get a yeah. whole book out uh in a month and that is incredible like I want to know what they're having for breakfast I want to know what their routine is like how do I how do I apply that to my own life but yeah you I mean every writer is going to be individual right in terms of what bandwidth is um what their work obligations outside of writing is all of that stuff it's just kind of embracing your own journey and and uh, letting it guide you to to where you're going to end up
0: And I would also suspect that writing in more than one genre or for more than one audience might, you know, impact that to some degree. Like Jessie Cusitanto has some romance, but she also does some like really excellent like YA thrillers. Mm -hmm. And so I'm guessing you can kind of shift between those spaces. You know, you're not writing like four romances in a year or four mysteries in a year. You know, you're kind of, switching back and forth. And I wonder if that for some people makes that, that workload, um, a little, a little less.
1: Helps their brains. Yeah. I do agree with that. Um, you know, I also write made for TV movies. So on top of my romance books, I do screenplays. And so switching between those genres, Yeah, I have one filming right now. And that's really fun. Um, Awesome. But yeah, so but to your point, like being able to switch between those has been really helpful, because it kind of gives my brain a break from like the dense writing I do for a book, versus kind of, for me, screenplays, I can really get through through those very quickly, because it's very dialogue heavy. And I that's like something I love writing. So um, probably the same thing with switching genres, but I've seen a, a lot of romance authors recently switch between YA and adults. Um, and I think get a lot of joy yes. out of those different audiences.
0: Yes. Like Ashley Poston has had her um, mm-hmm. first adult novel come out just a couple of weeks ago at the time yes. of, of this recording um, yes. And she's, you know, pretty well-known, like, in, in the YA space.
1: Yes, yeah. Um, but with the Dead romantic, also Park. Oh, the Dead Oh, romantics. yes! Yeah, Suzanne Park has also been one of these authors who's been, like, going uh, back and forth between YA and, YA and adults. And I knew her first for her adult writing, but now, you know, she's really done very well in the YA space, too.
0: Yeah, I think there's just, there's so many great, People out there writing books, and I hope it just stays that way for a long, long time. Me too. Well, I want to thank you so much for taking time out of your schedule. Um, We're a couple weeks ahead of your release date, so I really appreciate you um, carving out some time to chat with me and to let listeners know a little bit about who you are and what you write. Before you dash off, can you let me know the best place people can find you online?
1: Yes, um, you can find me at Erin LaRosa Lith at Instagram and Twitter. And then on TikTok, I'm at Erin LaRosa Rice.
0: Perfect. Again, this has been a discussion with author Erin LaRosa about her upcoming novel, For Butter or Worse, which is scheduled to release in the US on July 26th. All right, so let's talk about new books. We have quite a few books to start out with that you've heard us mention before on our most anticipated episode, um, most anticipated releases of October episode. So I'm going to start with a few things that Georgina mentioned. We have a legal thriller from John Grisham, The Boys from Biloxi, We have literary fiction from Barbara Kingsolver with Demon Copperhead. And we have women's fiction from Kelly Harms, which is Wherever the Wind Takes Us. I talked about a couple of um, things I'm looking forward to. We have a romance from Alicia Rye, like a heist romance, it looks like. It's Partners in Crime. And then I have a kind of dystopian fantasy, which is called The Whispering Dark by Kelly Andrew. So, those are books that you heard us talk about before. So, what about some books that you haven't heard us mention? I'm going to start with a couple of um, romance novels we have It Starts With Us by Colleen Hoover. This is the sequel to It Ends With Us, which came out a few years ago. Um I've only read one Colleen Hoover book and it was it's Verity a phenomenal thriller. But normally she writes kind of um angsty. Some of them are like new adult, some of them or are kind of just over that that crossing point from new adult to regular adult, however that works, I'm not sure. Um, But they're usually high angst, very um, tempestuous romances. So this one is It Starts With Us, and it's by Colleen Hoover. We also have A Cosmic Kind of Love by Samantha Young. This is an epistolary novel that is featuring an astronaut. I am pretty excited about this one. It looks phenomenal. It is A Cosmic Kind of Love by Samantha Young. Next up is a book that Stacy and Kristen are both very excited about, and they probably would have talked about it on our October episode if they had known it was coming out. But this is Howick. It is O'Brien Tales, book nine by Stacy Reynolds. This is a series of contemporary romances set in Ireland featuring the O'Brien family and um Stacy talked about the first one in this series um a few weeks ago on an episode that we did. So it's one that I definitely want to check out. If you're looking for a new romance series, you might want to check it out too. This is Howick, the O'Brien Tales, Book 9 by Stacy Reynolds. I'm um, moving on to some mysteries, thrillers, suspense, those types of things. I'm starting with Tell Me No Lies by Andrea Cantus. This is a YA thriller about a girl whose boyfriend has gone missing and her sister is the prime suspect. Again, this is Tell Me No Lies by Andrea Cantus. We then have a new John Mars book. This is Keep It in the Family. And I read What Lies Between Us by John Mars earlier this year, and it really freaked me out. I also read The Passengers by him, which is very, very cool if you're interested in all the ways that self-driving cars can go wrong. But this one is about a couple who are living in this house that holds a ton of secrets. And unfortunately for them, not all of these secrets have to do with the past. This is Keep It in the Family, by John Mars. We also have a new book by the husband and wife team who write under the name Nikki French. This is The Favor. It's about a woman who agrees to do a favor for her first love. Somehow this goes terribly wrong, as I would expect in a book like this. Um, I'm pretty intrigued by this. I've read a few of French's books and I've enjoyed them quite a bit. So this one is The Favor and it's by Nikki French. We also have Shadow Sister. This is by Lindsay Marcotte. She came out with um, *Mrs. R- Mrs. Rochester's Ghost, I think, either last year or the year before. So this one is kind of in a similar vein in that we have some possible paranormal activity maybe some hauntings it's about a woman who returns to her childhood home and is faced with a bunch of very strange unexplainable things that as i said could be paranormal or could be all too human this is shadow sister by lindsey marcotte We also have The Family Game. This is the latest from Katherine Steadman. I've been excited about this for a while. It looks very creepy. It is about a family, obviously, who engages in some not so great behaviors. And we have a, a new kind of member to this family who's married into it, and she gets swept up in all of this. This is The Family Game by Katherine Steadman. I want to talk about some historical things first up is a historical mystery. This is Lavender House by Lev A.C. Rosen. This is set in the 1950s. Um, We have a police officer who is investigating some crimes and a lot of LBGT representation here. I don't want to say too much because I don't want to give away what sound like some really, really cool plot points. I am on hold for this at my public library and it tells me that I have to wait seven weeks. Um, I'm hoping that I get it before then because it looks so, so cool and I love the title. So this is Lavender House by Lev A.C. Rosen. We also have eyes turned skyward this is by alina Dillon. she wrote um mercy house a couple of years ago and she had one other book that the title i I can't think of it Um, but this one eyes turned skyward is about an empty nester who is kind of at loose ends until she learns a secret about her mother's past. Apparently her mother was an Air Force pilot and she starts digging into this to learn, you know, all about her mother's experiences during the war. So this again is Eyes Turned Skyward and it's by Elena Dillon. We also have When We Had Wings. This is written by Susan Meisner, who I love, Christina McMorris, and Ariel Lawn. Um, This kind of reminds me of the stuff that like Team W does, Karen White, Lauren Willig, and Beatrice Williams. But these three are writing an interconnected, you know, a novel told from three separate points of view about nurses stationed in the South Pacific during World War II. So this is When We Had Wings, and it's by Susan Meisner, Christina McMorris, and Ariel Lawn. All right, let's talk about some fantasy. I'm starting with Poster Girl. This is Chosen Ones Book Two by Veronica Roth. Yes, Veronica Roth of divergent fame. Um, I read the first book in this series a couple of years ago, and I did really like it. It is more, I don't know, like parallel universe, alternate realm, kind of fantasy as opposed to what we're used to from her in terms of divergent with like the the dystopian feel. Um, But I thought that the setup was very, very cool. And I'm interested to see how this plays out um, as the series continues. So this one is Poster Girl, Chosen Ones, book two, by Veronica Ross. We also have Night of the Raven, Dawn of the Dove. This is a great title. It is by Radi Maratra, and it is set in a monster infested alternate medieval India. And we follow a guardswoman who is unfortunately kind of a pawn in this battle between two kingdoms. So this is Night of the Raven, Dawn of the Dove by Roddy Maratra, and this title is just stunning. We also have Grey Warren by Maggie Stiefvater. This is the third book in her Dreamer trilogy. this is an author who has been on my radar for quite a long time. I keep meaning to read her Raven Cycle books, since those are the ones that she seems to be like best known for. And I have them. I have the first one sitting on my iPad. I also own the first book in her Dreamer series, um, but I have not read her yet, and I really want to. She writes, from what I understand, um, pretty dark and captivating YA fantasy. So if you are current with her work, then you're probably ready for this one. This is Grey Warren, the Dreamer series, book three by Maggie Stiefvater. And lastly, I want to talk about kind of a, an urban fantasy called Uncanny Times, Huntsman, book one by Laura M. Gilman. And this is about a church who believe that these beings known as huntsmen are unclean and people are supposed to kind of stand against them. But we have two protagonists who are kind of wondering what happens if the church is wrong. This kind of gives me the feel of um, Stacia Cain's Downside Ghost series in the sense that like there's this church that is in charge of a whole bunch of things in probably not the best way. Um, but, you know, with some some magic and paranormal things going on as well. So this is one that I definitely want to check out, and it is Uncanny Times, Huntsman, Book One by Laura Ann Gilman. And that is all I have for you today. It's hard to believe we are winding down October here. I hope all of you are doing well, reading lots of great books, Enjoying the fall and if spooky books are your jam This is the perfect season for those and I hope you are staying delightfully scared over the month of October If you would like to leave us a rating or a review you can do that on Apple Podcasts or any other platform that you use to access the show. Not only does it tell us what you think, but it also helps other people find us when they're looking for book-related podcasts. Um, it kind of advances us in the Google algorithm. So I will be back next Tuesday morning with an author interview and, of course, the guide to new releases. And some number of us will be back on Friday with more bookish content.